Hello and welcome back to the Bitcoin Cash podcast. This is episode number nine following Bitcoin Cash on its rise to global reserve currency. Today is Wednesday the 10th of March 2021 and today we're going to be talking about Bitcoin forks and adoption in Detroit. For that I have a resident expert from the Detroit area, Connor. So what, what do you know about Detroit? What do you know about Bitcoin? Why are you on the podcast? Sure. Um, so um, I've been a huge proponent for Bitcoin Cash for a while now. Um, you know, when I was younger, I really kind of found an interest in Bitcoin before it became Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. Um, and then during the fork, I kind of you know, did my research, did my due diligence and decided to put most of my eggs into Bitcoin. I believed in Bitcoin as more of a tradable value, something that you can use as actual money as opposed to a store value. So I, I really like um, adopted Bitcoin Cash and I kind of just held it for a while because there's not very many places here in the city of Detroit where you can spend it. Um, but now uh, my goal is this summer to try and help drive adoption here in the city. Yeah. So, what uh, do you know? What year you were in? Like, you first got involved in uh, Bitcoin then. No, don't remember. Uh, it, was pro- it was probably like interesting, really. I mean, I'd heard okay. about it before. Um, you know, like people talking about it, but like probably the first time actually like researching it, um, and I bought like a tiny, tiny amount, <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, first time I started really getting into it and actually like researching. All right, cool. Yeah, 2016, you know, just in my head, it it, it helps the the timeline, right? Because, uh, you know, we have people on this show who they've only just first, you know, getting into it now in 2021. Some people from uh, yeah, obviously yeah. like the way early days, like 20, 2012 or 2010, which is, you know, even earlier than for me. And then for me, 2013 and then... 2014 you know every i think everybody sees bitcoin slightly differently based on uh what what time they come to it right and i, I find that very interesting to follow so uh, i hope the yeah the listeners of the show will, will get a bit of a sense of having that diversity of opinions as to each different phase in in bitcoin's life as well as different geographies around the world you know people have seen it in in different yep. ways uh too cool so yeah let's uh Let's crack on with it then. So the first thing, as always, is the price update. Uh, price, the least important thing, but first thing always brought up on the show. How do you like that? But <laughs> we've got the 561 uh, USD, so it is actually up, up this week. Doing good. But uh, doing bad against uh, BTC, down below 100 to 1 um ratio which uh yeah as i talked about last week personally i'm not really that concerned about because uh i mean the utility for bth just seems to be going up and up and btc is just powered by this endless amount of uh hype over nothing they've got no there's no new merchants there's no new anything there's no new do well, i guess they had a new thing called taproot but there's not really grand projects being unveiled there's not anything it's just more and more people buying into a fee like a, a coin with increasing fees and uh, as the fees get higher ironically that probably actually drives the price higher as well because it means there's a lot of bitcoin you can't move because it's not worth selling it because it would cost you almost all your coins or all your coins to even send them to an exchange so uh, 
interesting, yeah. The audio cut out here a little bit, but Connor was talking about how he only checks it on the price once a week or when he's actually using Bitcoin Cash and how he made a joke that with the fees getting higher and higher on Bitcoin, it might actually be cheaper to physically transport gold than to send digital gold over the internet. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You put it on a plane and just uh, ship it to the other side of the world, probably, or just put it in FedEx or something, and uh, it'll probably be quicker too, right? So. Yeah, and it's funny you say that, actually, because there is, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of great Satoshi quotes, but one of the ones that he has that is in one of the, you know, often quoted ones is he says, uh, to in the early days you know he's explaining to somebody on the forum about what is bitcoin what's the point of it and everything and he said well imagine that you have something that is exactly the same as uh gold except it's boring it's not it doesn't really conduct electricity that well and it also looks it's just a gray color so it's not like good to be used in jewelry or anything like that and it's super boring and it would is basically pointless except the one advantage it has over gold is that you can teleport it anywhere around the world and that that would make a massively amazing form of money because if it didn't have those other use cases that were sort of like distracting from it and it was super transportable, then the fact that it had a limited supply and it was recognizable and so on and so forth would be would be really great. So that that is kind of where that sort of digital gold narrative uh, came into it. But li like you say, I mean, making it harder to transact with definitely does not make it a better asset in any stretch of the imagination really but uh i guess obviously not everybody uh agrees with that uh assessment even though i think it should be blindingly obvious but anyway uh moving on <laughs> but the transactions has been uh still continuing to grow it's it's slowed down a little bit but seems like it's uh, picked up off the off the plateau so it's now uh starting to open up a bit of a noticeable lead here on uh, BTC, which is uh, in its same channel, but as uh, BCH gets consistently to the top of that channel, especially uh, as you zoom out the chart, they, they get further and further apart because the um, once you add up several days at once onto a single data point, you know the BCH line is significantly higher, and, and I think that's just going to keep keep going up and up. Uh, definitely, if there's more <laughs> adoption in Detroit, it will be right. Yes, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, we've got, got plenty of capacity. So I, it's been funny because obviously there's been a huge story for BCH uh, supporters that, oh, we're doing more transactions than BTC and so on and so forth. And one thing that you might expect is that BTC supporters, it might make them start to rethink rethink their position, you know, that because for the last, let's say, three years, they've been able to sit there pretty comfortably and say, look, Bitcoin is doing... Uh, 300,000 transactions, Bitcoin Cash is doing 20,000 transactions, haha, <laughs> we were right, you know, uh, this uh, shitcoin, you know, that nobody wants to use or whatever. But then when now there has been all this growth that's happening, now that's not really a viable sort of uh, line of reasoning anymore. So instead, well, you, you might think, they might think, look into that, what, what's going on here? Why is this uh, suddenly becoming... Uh, you know, uh, popular or, or whatever, but they haven't really reflected on it in that way. And in fact, most of the sentiment I've seen has just been, well, this is all spam. 
and they just think that I don't know somebody's running a bot or something to just send around a load of transactions. <laughs> Sending one side. Yeah, but why? <laughs> you know, if that was the case, like why wouldn't we? We I say we like the BCH community. Why wouldn't somebody have just done that way earlier? Like why did they suddenly start doing it now? And I think also looking at this graph, it it looks it looks pretty organic. You know, it it's not. It's it's yeah. it's just slow increases, but it's a bit up, a bit down, and definitely uh, having, you know, rolling along. Okay, it flattened out a little bit, and there's been plenty of news. It's not like it's just in a vacuum. There's been noise dot cash, read dot cash. There's been loads of videos of people at meetups all around the world in different places. There's been, um, you know, excitement following uh, Elon Musk announcing about Tesla. There's been so many different things so i think it's pretty uh pretty short-sighted of them to just dismiss it as oh this is not happening because they won't realize that the snowball is really rolling until it's already too late but uh fair enough that's their that's their narrative so uh, then there's also this chart which the i've been doing looking at most of the time uh, as well which is the the usd cent uh per day so Obviously, while the transactions are now equal, the USD cent isn't isn't quite there yet. But it, it's 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 moving up. If this sort of trend uh, continues, then uh, Bitcoin Cash is going to catch up at some point. And I really think uh, a lot of people were asking about this on on Reddit as well too. Which is that so for Bitcoin Cash, let's say right now it's about five billion per day, and then for Bitcoin it can be between about fifteen uh, and thirty billion. So it's basically about a three to a six uh, X multiplier in terms of the amount of coins going around every single day. And when you consider what we were saying before that it's a hundred to one price differential, that means BCH is absolutely crushing it in terms of the amount of commerce it is doing relative to the, the size of the network. Uh, so I, again, there's you can sort of dismiss that or have an, a line of angle. Well, maybe it's just a lot of spam or Maybe people are just sending one cent and then refunding change back to themselves for fifty dollars, and that's like inflating these numbers. But uh, yet again, I I look at this graph and it seems seems pretty legit to me. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, just just my opinion. The viewers can make up their own uh, mind, but I think you've you've sort of got to take these graphs and integrate them a little bit with your own sense or your own intuition of. Uh, a real adoption right so for the listeners if they've noticed that okay maybe a new store near them has you know started accepting bitcoin cash or some more of their friends are interested in asking them about it that they weren't six months ago or, or those kind of things if you notice those things happening which i have uh myself uh it might be different for other people but uh, i have noticed those things happening it, it does give me confidence that this is not just uh, like random spam, whatever. So we've got the uh, forks as the topic in today. So kitchen cutlery and uh, Bitcoin, you know, what it, What about those shitty little uh, dessert forks <laughs> that, you, that you have with the queen? Or, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I can actually, you know, the difference is I can buy kitchen cutlery with Bitcoin Cash. Yeah, well, they exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, you need to be able to purchase your fork, and that is why Bitcoin Cash is the superior currency. Uh, I'm only partly joking, 
So basically, this is a, a big uh, topic, and I don't think we're not really going to get into every one of these different forks in huge detail because every single one had a lot of back and forth and who said what and who, you know, blah, blah, blah. They all had their own set of uh, issues and I'm not even perhaps the best placed person to comment on the intricacies of every single one. And in a lot of ways, it's sort of irrelevant now. Uh, but for this, because I had a, a viewer question about about the forks and my opinions and everything, I thought it might be a good uh, topic to walk through and especially uh, with you saying that you, you joined uh, Bitcoin shortly before that uh, fork between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash and then obviously, like you said, did did some research. I, I thought it would be quite good uh, quite good to talk about. So like, let, maybe let's start there. When you uh, were approaching this, when Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash forked on August the 1st, 2017, how, how aware were you of the controversy and the drama in the lead up? And uh, did you or had you already picked a side, or were you planning to just let it play out, or what was your approach? Yeah, yeah. So I actually hadn't really realized there. I wasn't like super engaged in the community. Um, you know, I was on Reddit a lot, but I didn't really initially after the fork really pick up on the. Um, like I knew what Bitcoin Cash versus Bitcoin about it, and then like quickly after the fork, I really realized like what was going on, um, and like I you know I was I was listening at the time to like Conan talks about Roger Bear being an influence on him as he was trying to sort out the fact from the fiction in the fork debate, and that he was following it more closely after the fork because it really engaged him in the community as to what the different sides and opinions were and everybody getting censored on the uh, Bitcoin subreddit, uh, shutting down a lot of free debate. I mean, I, I wagered most of my money into Bitcoin Cash, so after the fork um, of the Bitcoin I had, I sold a majority of it and kept a very small portion of it um, just because I like diversifying. Um, but Right now, I don't. I don't actually own any Bitcoin. Um, I'm purely into Bitcoin Cash as a, a crypto investment. Yeah, yeah. I guess for me, I, I was very uh, heavily involved. Uh, at least, maybe maybe not at the most of anyone in the entire world, but uh, definitely in the lead up to that fork, I was posting a lot on our Bitcoin. Uh, you know, in the discussions and all that, everybody was arguing back and forth. Um, and I, I, yeah, I definitely had, uh, you know, some very heavily upvoted uh, posts and some that were, you know, uh, spawned a lot of discussion and stuff like that. And uh, it was absolutely crazy the levels of, of censorship that started happening on the subreddit where it would be hundreds and hundreds of uh, comments would get removed even though they were literally all on the on the topic because the moderator of the forum who's called Thamos who nobody has ever met uh, even though he is the, the key moderator or in control nobody had ever met him in person at a Bitcoin meetup or anything and he just enforced this policy because every it was the it was the issue it was the one thing that the community just wanted and had to talk about uh, and so 
it just came up over and over. It would be like every single thread with people flooding in with discussion about it. And so I guess at a certain point he got fed up, but obviously the more people you banned, they just made, it just made it more to a fever pitch, uh, of, of anger and, uh, annoyance. And it ended up coming around to be the, be that it got to a fork. But so let's just, let's, let's just take a step back here and for users that are not, uh, as familiar with, uh, crypto, uh, I want to give a bit of a, an overview of of forks and, and what it's all about. So, in uh, Bitcoin or in any cryptocurrency, uh, in theory, but uh, Bitcoin has the most famous uh, instances of this. There is uh, because the currency is run as a chain of new transactions being added in groups called blocks, and then that all carries on and everybody agrees this is the chain this uh this block comes before this block and this transaction came before this transaction but if there is a certain uh, amount of disagreement in the community as to what the rules are for those blocks what the nodes should enforce or not uh, then they can get to a situation where one group feels so strongly essentially uh, about the uh, direction that the currency is going or that it needs to go, that they will program their nodes to be a different set of rules to the, the first set and then the two, uh, ch the one chain that is going along each block being added will split into two where everybody, the history is shared up until the point of the split and then at the point of the split, uh, each side from that moment on goes its separate ways and uh, can enforce their own sets of rules. And obviously that's at the technical level, but at the meta level, the communities will also start to diverge where people who believe in one ideology or the other will uh, <laughs> sell one coin to buy more of the other or vice versa, or maybe they'll hold both and wait and see what happens. Uh, but the communities will start to fracture and have their own discussion or their own vision, their own development, their own node teams, uh, everything like that, right? And so in uh, one one very important thing to know is that I, I will call this a fork and, and a lot of people do, but it does, uh, there's sort of several subcategories in that, right? Which is that in, in the normal course of Bitcoin uh, mining, there is sometimes forks of just like one block or something along those lines, but it's unintentional. And usually it all sort of comes out in the wash where those transactions later get included into another block. So that's not an issue, but it does crop up from time to time. And then there are soft forks, which is where when the chain is going along, if the rules need to be changed for the nodes, that they change the rules in such a way that the, it's backwards compatible, basically, that the previous nodes can still uh, understand the, can still be compatible with the new nodes and therefore nodes don't need to upgrade. So it doesn't come to a point uh, where things would split off because the rules have been changed and the old nodes and the new nodes differ. Because if the old nodes and the new nodes differ, then it's really important that everybody is prepared to switch onto the new nodes. Otherwise you end up in this chaos of uh, splitting either intentionally or not right um, and so those soft forks it sounds kind of like nice like why wouldn't you do that but the problem often is that if you want to make 
certain kinds of changes, you're kind of, you're adding what's called technical debt. You're uh, kind of messing up your code base, although maybe you're making some other compromises in the technology of the system in order to avoid having that uh, fork. And then finally, there's there's hard forks, which is where uh, either everyone or a subset decides that they want to change one of those key rules. And then if everyone can agree on it, then the currency can all switch over at an agreed time and it doesn't need to be a traumatic thing. And in fact, Bitcoin uh, had hard forked quite several times before the Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash split. But then uh, at the point of the Bitcoin Cash split, the two communities sort of diverged where the Bitcoin Cash community, who obviously split off, they had their uh, philosophy of they don't try and avoid hard forks like, like they're happy to hard fork to make upgrades still when necessary and when everybody uh, can agree with it uh, while the bitcoin community btc they have sort of decided that pretty much hard forks are evil and that they should never be uh, attempted or anything like that even if uh, there is broad agreement well i guess now there would never be broad agreement because people just don't even appreciate the idea right Yeah, so like in the one other thing is to keep in mind is that uh, what I was saying all about the fork. So technically, they don't have to result in a chain split where there is two different currencies that come out of it, because if everybody pretty much agrees, then everybody can just flick over. And then even if there would have been another branch, it just sort of withers off uh, pretty quickly. So some people call it a chain split instead of a fork to sort of distinguish when it uh, it was creating two coins and when it wasn't but I'm just going to call it forks and I think people <laughs> it's a nice metaphor right people uh, people understand it quite intuitively and the other thing to note is that forks are irreversible so once once you split off into those two different camps there's no coming back so it's a very drastic move which uh, only happens if there if there is serious contention in the community because by default most people want to continue the momentum in the community they've already built they don't want to switch it up without a very good reason like so do you think then do, do, do you think it was uh, required like at, at the time that Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash split off were you like, I know you said you were not necessarily involved in all the, the details, but were you caught off guard then that it had happened, or...? Uh, um, I wasn't caught off guard that it would happen. I definitely, like, I definitely knew it needed to happen, for sure. Um, I mean, that, that, that is, like, the most contentious I've ever seen, the community ever. Like, like, that, like, like I wasn't, I, I didn't pay attention too much before it, before it happened, um, but... Obviously, I knew it needed to happen, but I was—I started to pay attention a lot more once it did happen because I was interested in researching. You know, like you know, I didn't because at the time I wasn't paying attention too much to it. But once I found out, oh, I have two wallets now. I have two <laughs> different coins. What's going on here? Uh, um, I need to like figure out what both of these are. Um, I really kind of just backtracked and looked at everything that had happened. I was like, wow, <laughs> there was some intense debate for sure. Um, so yeah, I think, well, the Bitcoin cash split was definitely the most needed split that has ever happened. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there's no, I mean, there, there's obviously a lot of rancor on, on both sides of this split where 
Bitcoin Cash community sort of are annoyed that they had to split off uh, or force a split because they feel like everybody should have been able to be rationally persuaded without all this censorship and stuff. And then the Bitcoin uh, side, you know, sort of have their narrative, which I think is now even perpetuated a lot more by the people who are new who were not there at the time of the split and didn't understand all this backstory that, oh, it's a scam or it's a knockoff or something like that, when really they, they share actually a common ancestry. It's not, it's it's actually nothing like that. Uh, but be, because of that, uh, yeah, both sides have, have their views. Yeah. Yeah, so with the uh, one... Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a real, right now I think it's a... Go on. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, I think it's a huge educational issue right now because, like, you know, we're getting all these people, like, you know, Tesla said they bought Bitcoin and, like, all these, what we would consider an institutional investor, um, buying Bitcoin and not necessarily buying it because they know what it is, you know? It's just, they just buy it because they, they think, you know, they think there's support behind it and there's no education behind, like, what actually happened and what Bitcoin actually is and, like, all the splits that happened. And there's a lot of people that own Bitcoin on like uh you know like these trading platforms like Robinhood and stuff but that that don't actually physically own bitcoin right that's not they don't actually own that um mm. so the, they don't even know what they really have they they're not really aware of the problems within the bitcoin community they're not aware of like you know as a as a trader on Robinhood, you're not paying fees you're not really aware of the insanity that are actual bitcoin fees because you're just trading this not real token um, so I think there's a, there's a huge educational issue right now because of all the new investors coming into this space. Yeah. And that's the sort of one key point about these forks is that obviously it's a new field of, uh, study, right? Like many things in cryptocurrency, the world is, is there's not uh, much history. I mean, we have this now, but even this, uh, few sets of forks, there's not necessarily a lot of precedent as to how all these things work there's not academic papers or there's not research studies or there's not uh you know hundreds of years of history or anything like that so one thing that has emerged in the different uh sets of forks is that control of the brand name is is quite crucial right so bitcoin obviously yeah. proves that and uh then the bitcoin cash forks that we're going to look at and also uh, the one other coin uh, that I have an example here of a fork is, and I think probably is the only one besides Bitcoin to have a highly publicized or notable fork, is Ethereum. Uh, and since that was the yeah. that's the second biggest coin, you know, it, you have to have a community of a certain size before you can even get to the point of having a fork because it needs to be big enough for there to be a, lo a wide spectrum of opinion with a significant enough uh minority who, who want to split off but in every single case i don't think there's been a single case yet of the minority fork uh rising up to uh surpass the majority fork in uh in price yet like so if bitcoin cash could do that to bitcoin it would be the first time it's ever happened i, I think there's a good shot of that in the very long term but it's there. There is no precedent uh, for that, and it's very important for listeners to to understand and, and reflect on that on that point. Yeah, it's an uphill battle for sure. <laughs> yeah, because it just goes to show is that most people are not necessarily as invested. They don't know all about it, and they they follow the brand name. People follow brands that they that they trust or that they understand, especially in cryptocurrency with a first of its kind. 
type of thing. And so if people don't know all the details, that's that's obviously where they're naturally going to go. And uh, hopefully at some point they can uh, get a more nuanced understanding, but it's not necessarily uh, the case, especially when the side that uh, ends up with the brand, which again, nobody really decides who does that. It sort of, sort of comes down to the communities at the time battling over it and as to influential leaders. And if one side feels like they want to sort of maybe rebrand or I mean the Bitcoin cash community they sort of got pushed off the brand uh, unfortunately I would say but you know it, it, it was basically the situation was so dire that they were prepared to take that loss in order to uh, in order to be able to have a fork in the first place so uh, I think it was overall a good thing but uh, and, and as I've discussed in the past, I think the new Bitcoin Cash branding, I actually kind of like it now that I've <laughs> been with it for a while. But it, it was undoubtedly a, a loss on that front. And so if Bitcoin Cash can overtake Bitcoin, well, Bitcoin will have no excuses because it had had every advantage. So one thing, I mean, we've already talked about this a little bit, the, um, all the details of this, this fork, but essentially one thing to to point out here is like I was talking about there was censorship the community leaders were arguing over about it it was about the one megabyte block size limit which has now led to huge fees on BTC and low fees on BCH despite similar transaction volume a lot of arguing about what is the real um, Bitcoin and one thing to also note is that in the lead up to the fork there was uh, a certain conference called the Hong where called the Hong Kong agreement came out of this conference uh, and then there was a later one in New York called the New York Agreement, both of which fell apart. But there were these conferences where uh, Bitcoin, uh, prominent Bitcoin community members all met up uh, first in, in Asia and then in America to try and discuss all of this. Because as I explained, you know, before it, it is it is a it is a situation of last resort. And so in those scenarios in the lead up that there, there is always there's always discussion people are trying to find a compromise or something that can get everybody on board and there's so many people involved and no nobody is in charge right that's the whole point of a decentralized uh governance model where there is not uh somebody who can make the call of yes or no we're gonna we're gonna hard fork right so the miners are involved the nodes uh developers are involved the community is involved with all their opinions and big investors are involved businesses are involved because they might have to support one or both forks or to put in their opinions you know so it, and there's not there's not even really a clear idea of who should be significantly in the discussion and who isn't in the, everybody's in the discussion to whatever extent they want to be right so uh but these two attempts at coming to an agreement in a sort of United Nations type of approach both both failed basically, and that was that was why the fork happened. And I think that that has also set the scene for the other forks that we're going to look at, where in those cases there have often been attempts to sort of reconcile and have meetings and what, and it usually it usually doesn't work. Uh, basically, uh, people 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 dig in their heels. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Did you, did you follow much of that? I don't know if you have any memories of uh, those agreements, or again, you might might have been off your radar at that time. I, I, it was off the radar for me. Yeah. I'm not very aware of these actually. Yeah, you're educating me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm good. Good. 
good but the i, I mean i i still am not uh the best you know person like somebody who was actually there would be the best to talk about uh what went down you know and the other thing is that these when these kind of meetings happen then the rest of the community are sort of like well why aren't we involved uh, i don't know necessarily if they're always gonna if they stream it live and they have q a or whether they just do it and they don't want to have a thousand million people putting in their opinions who are not there to really <laughs> discuss properly and you know are trolling the chat and whatever so uh every every scenario plays out differently uh with that so basically in the end bitcoin cash split off and then sort of uh, devolved into its own uh internal battles effectively because it, it was it was quite interesting i think uh, again i sort of got quite disillusioned after the fork and i was not heavily involved i was been watching bitcoin cash casually but i was not uh, heavily involved uh, enough to know all the details of this but essentially um this guy craig wright who i've talked about on the uh, show before who claimed to be satoshi effectively fraudulently he uh, sort of had his own vision for what he thought the bitcoin cash uh split sh should be doing and a lot of people disagreed with that and so then it was more <laughs> infighting and more back and forth about uh everything and that's definitely a challenge of being on the minority side of the fork where if you are on the minority side you, you have to re-establish that vision it's both an opportunity and a crisis to pick a new direction and kind of rally everyone around that but it's obviously going to be a bit of a disparate community of people who are dissatisfied with them with the main uh, branch but who might not necessarily even be that united in what they think people should do instead uh yeah like did did you uh yeah i don't know how how involved were you in these uh subsequent later battles Uh, that was, I, th I thought that was pretty laughable. Um, yeah. <laughs> Craig whole thing was just like, I don't know. And what, what you're talking about, it, it's really, that was like, I think probably like the, 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 the toughest time for Bitcoin Cash when all of this split was happening because it's like, you know, we're already the, like, we already have less support and less backing behind us. Uh, and then we're just going to keep arguing and, and like, you know, deviate the community even more you know split split across even more um so it was it was definitely painful but um it was it was kind of a it, I, I thought it was just ridiculous the the sb split yeah yeah i mean people being being in those minority fork uh positions or or whatever again they sort of tried to have a uh, uh another conference which is called the bangkok miners summit 2018 and you can have a look there's a really good interview with craig wright that hayden otto uh did it's linked here on the slides uh so people can can check that out but basically bitcoin cash was sort of we're going to be peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash and i think the idea of uh bitcoin sv or satoshi vision was that they wanted to raise the block size even more so uh, Bitcoin Cash want, obviously had raised it. That was the whole point of splitting off from Bitcoin. But then Bitcoin Satoshi Vision wanted to raise it even more. And they also wanted, uh, as far as I know, to add in uh, the ability to put different 
kinds of data in the blockchain. So now they have a lot of transactions and a lot of things going on uh, where people, it's sort of almost like, like a decentralized kind of Dropbox or something like that, where people can be uploading huge gigabytes of files or whatever into directly into the blockchain which is either a great alternative use case if you ask them or if uh, you ask me it's probably just kind of screwing up the system because you want to obviously you want to have transaction data because that's the whole point of having peer-to-peer cash but if you put too much other junk in there you sort of spoil the broth uh, for transactions in my mind so yeah, I, I I don't know. Is that an accurate characterization? Is that is that how it was? I, I think I think that's pretty accurate. I think what what Craig was trying to do was basically with the with a coin try and recreate the internet, right? He was trying to make something that was the entire internet again. Um, yeah, the whole like platform of services and yeah, different data and um, whatever. I don't know. It seemed a bit much to me. But then after they split off. <laughs> like, uh, I, I mean, uh, Craig is, uh, is Australian, you know, it's funny to be like Craig is a, he's Australian and so is uh, Hayden and I think you can you can almost see that uh, and obviously I'm Australian too, right? So I, I just recommend people to watch this this video but you can you can see a little bit of the attitude there uh, by, by Hayden in how he's sort of trying to, he, he's not, he's not confrontational or anything like that, but you can feel the skepticism that he has uh, about Craig's Craig's points, uh, but in a very Australian way. So just personally, I, I found that um, quite funny. So anyway, at a certain point, uh, BSV, this conference yet again failed and BSV uh, split off, so they went their own way. Uh, and then <laughs> there was one more fork where uh, later down the line again, Bitcoin Cash devolved into uh, internal chaos with uh, this guy, Amori Secher, who he was the one that actually made the first original Bitcoin Cash fork off of Bitcoin. Um, so props to him for that. Thanks. Thanks, Amori. He obviously did a great job. He did a lot of work and everything. But he had this idea that he wanted to add uh, what he called the IFP which is an infrastructure funding proposal, which is an 8% tax on the Bitcoin miners effectively. And that money was going to go to pretty much to him, to his uh, organization so that they could code more of the software for Bitcoin Cash. And I, I mean, not it's not entirely without justification that he had the sort of reasoning that uh, in a open source uh, economy like this, you need to have uh, a strong central infrastructure, but at the moment there's there's not really any necessarily any funding of it. It's all just done by volunteers or voluntary donations uh, from perhaps like businesses in the scene who obviously they their business relies on the infrastructure, so they want to donate to it and, and keep it running, right? Uh, but in that scenario, he you know was worried that there was not enough money uh, going to those different uh, de- developers, particularly himself and you know his uh, group of developers. So he wanted to add this tax, but it was quite uh, unpopular, I think, because 
I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Obviously, it was unpopular because he obviously seemed to benefit from it directly himself. And also because in a decentralized economy, even if it's not ideal, it does seem to work that there are nodes and people do development and there are donations and stuff like that. So if you had a central point where the money was going to, it's sort of like who was in control of who got that money and who decided what it should be spent on. And it just raised all these questions that just defeated the whole point of a volunteer, decentralized, leaderless uh, type of movement, right? Connor talks about people disagreeing about the need to add a tax onto the miner and that that changing the philosophy of the coin from an anarchist uh, kind of point of view to a more communist philosophy. Yeah, yeah, a change in political philosophy. First change in political philosophy. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I get, I also wasn't uh, particularly in, involved in this, but I uh, was very uh, intrigued um, because uh, Maurice shared the the main guy. You know, he has had on his Twitter profile for a long time. He's had he's self described as the benevolent dictator of Bitcoin ABC, and to me that always struck me as kind of uh, crazy because that why would the whole point of this whole bitcoin and the whole libertarian type of angle and everything yeah anarchy all of that is that there is not leaders or or any um hierarchy like that so saying to yourself i mean i guess he's sort of partly it's a bit tongue-in-cheek but even still it's a little bit in poor taste to sort of be i'm the benevolent dictator and then as a result, look at well, it turned out to be maybe not so benevolent because he started trying to redirect uh, the money to to himself. And in fact, this this fork and the aftermath where he kind of quit the community a bit and the community decided that they didn't want to go in that direction. This was actually what convinced me to get back involved because, in large part, because up to this point. Uh, I, again, I was just seeing this benevolent dictator stuff and the community was just in so much turmoil. And even though I had no faith in BTC Bitcoin, I thought Bitcoin Cash might be where something good could come of it. Yeah, just between Craig Wright and then this Amorisha share and just all the chaos and all the infighting and bickering, there just was not uh, a strong core and vision and uh once even though it took a couple of years and those elements slowly got filtered out one way or another it has been uh i think a good thing for the for the community and once it was gone it convinced me and i would hesitate to guess a few other of the sort of old school bitcoiners are are or have been or will be attracted back uh as a result of of now having uh, refocused on that that core mission of of peer to peer electronic cash. You know, is that is that a vibe that you feel or? I yeah, one hundred percent yeah. I was I was I can agree. I was pretty like out of the community for a while, pretty dead and like post fork. I didn't really pay attention to it too much uh, until um, probably like last year. I started really getting back in and. Uh, research yeah so that that community 
vibe and leadership is uh, is very important. So this Bitcoin Cash uh, ABC is now basically dead, as far as I'm aware. They're not really listed on any exchanges. I don't know if they have necessarily any wallets or anything. So unlike Satoshi's vision, they didn't really create enough momentum necessarily to carry on. I mean, it might crop up out of the blue somewhere, but uh, at this point, I think they've kind of lost their momentum. Uh, and uh, what did also come out of it is that the Bitcoin Cash community made Flipstarter, which was the decentralized uh, version of Kickstarter, uh, and to address exactly these concerns about economic funding and how, how would things happen, right? So the community did actually move to address it. Uh, they just found their own solutions rather than uh, this kind of taxing the miners scheme. So really that was, uh, that was quite interesting, I think. So yeah, okay, so we've moved on. So I, I also want to quickly touch on this, which is a bit of a tangent really, but uh, in all of this, it's very easy to sort of get lost in this big mess of all these different Bitcoins. <laughs> and I wanted to call out, there's this other one called Wrapped Bitcoin or Wrapped BTC, which you might see on CoinMarketCap or if you're researching the space for the listeners or anything. But that is not a fork of any version of Bitcoin, actually. This is a completely different thing which is it's a form of Bitcoin integration with Ethereum where people can through these sort of trusted parties. So there's a bit of an issue there about the decentralization, but you can basically lock up somehow or burn, uh, destroy effectively your Bitcoins and then be given like replacement Bitcoins except on Ethereum. And that means you can use Ethereum smart contracts and Ethereum things to interact with it. And then there's also some sort of mechanism for sending it back onto the main Bitcoin. So uh, this is just a completely different thing, but with the branding, it might be easier to think of it that it is one of these forks. So it's not, it's completely different. Um, but yeah, that's just a heads up for the community. So yeah, I don't know if you know anything about wrap Bitcoin or no no nothing. yeah yeah okay well there, there you go so then that's it it's it's definitely out of the picture yeah. uh that 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 really just just says it all but i thought it would be worth just giving yeah. a heads up uh to the listeners in case they they come across this because yeah obviously the the branding is just quite uh confusing all right so the final uh little uh fork that i want to talk about here is the one non-bitcoin fork that has been relevant in cryptocurrency history i'd say which was Ethereum, which split into Ethereum Classic, and much like Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum is now dominating. It's now uh, $1,850 to Ethereum Classic, which is about $12.30. So it's about 150 to one. Um, but the reason for their split was completely different, which was uh, that the smart contracts on Ethereum allowed everybody to pour in all this money into a contract which they called the DAO, the Distributed Autonomous Organization and uh, a lot of people did and there was about I think it was like 50 million or, or something like that which in the scale of crypto now even seems a bit minor but at the time it was massive it was a huge amount of money uh, in the scene at the time and uh, they, they poured all their cash into this 
uh, contract and then somebody found a hack, an exploit, and they just drained all the money to themselves. But I think the rules of the, the hack was that they couldn't spend it for, I think, 28 days. They couldn't necessarily do anything with it uh, straight away. So the community in Ethereum then devolved into uh, chaos as everybody tried to figure out what to do about this. And essentially what Ethereum uh, decided to do with and what Ethereum Classic disagreed about was that they rolled back. They, so they, they put out the word to everybody and they said, all right, this is a bit of a mess. Why don't we travel back in time to before this was hacked? and will reimburse all the shareholders of the DAO and we'll carry on and we won't <laughs> do this experiment again because it didn't work. Uh, and that was, I guess, good because it reimbursed the shareholders who got hacked, but it was bad because it sort of defeats the point of a unreversible currency if, uh, if it can be easily uh, reversed or, or changed changed back at any moment by somebody who just happens to think that's a good idea uh, in this case being sort of the prominent Ethereum uh, members because it raises a lot of concerns about the censoring of transactions and so on and so forth. Uh, so Ethereum Classic said, look, we just want to carry on. We don't think anybody should be able to just arbitrarily change up uh, the what was already in the blockchain. And so they split off and again with the minority branding they've had a tough time of it, even though philosophically speaking, they're probably actually in the right. Uh, so I think that's just a, an interesting case to look at. Uh, do you have any uh, any thoughts about uh, this this fork? Yeah, I think that's super interesting. I, I, I mean, I've, I've heard of it, but I never knew why they split. Um, that's pretty... So, do you know what? When did this happen? I know this must. This was pretty early because this was probably before I even got into um, this space. I'm guessing because I remember seeing it on exchanges when I was like uh, investigating. Do you know? Do you know when this like happened? Yeah, I think. Well, we can check, but I think it was in maybe late 2015. Uh, let me see here, but Ethereum Classic split. Uh, I should have put it on the slides, basically, but I think it, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, so it's kind of It late. was, uh, okay, now if my, maybe my internet's going to be janky, but uh, I think it was, it was at about that time, which was still very early in the life cycle because Ethereum is much younger than Bitcoin, right? So it was still, uh, it was still quite new in that sense. And obviously because the uh the whole idea of smart contracts and so on and so forth was yeah. completely new and stuff it was quite inevitable <laughs> that something like this uh would would happen um yeah i've just got this one uh quote highlighted here from gavin wood who was involved yeah. in ethereum and he said this was the single most important in moment in cryptocurrency history since the birth of Bitcoin and for the record I think that is complete rubbish there is a lot of things that uh, rank higher than this uh, you know like the founding of the Silk Road or there's there's the Bitcoin and Bitcoin cash split uh, for instance or even like the founding of Ethereum is perhaps uh, another one so 
I, I think that's complete nonsense. I think that's very self-aggrandizing to have that uh, view. But it, it was still uh, quite an important moment. Uh, and it, it did sort of, yeah, set the groundwork. And it, it's still an interesting case study of, of how, how forks can clear uh, can sort of play out. Okay, cool. So now on to your special subject, uh, adoption in, in Detroit. So as you mentioned at the start, You've, yeah, you're working on a flip starter and all that to do uh, adoption of merchants in Detroit to maybe look at solving some of the problems there. So yeah, give me the, give me the spiel. How did this all come about and what's the game plan? Um, yeah, so um, I've been a user holder basically and for a while now and um, yeah, I'm always on the subreddit I'm seeing all these people in different places being able to use their Bitcoin cash and that kind of stuff and like really a great a lot of people are doing a really good job um, really being a particular stuff and, um, and as I was thinking about like you know where I live in Detroit where um, there basically is no ecosystem for Bitcoin um, I, I think there's like two or three Bitcoin ATMs in this entire city there's really not anything as far as Bitcoin cash goes at all. There's no like meetups. There's no, and really, there's literally no infrastructure um, as far as Bitcoin cash or Bitcoin goes here in the city of Detroit. And so, what I really want to try and do is, you know, start start scratching the surface of creating adoption in Detroit. Be a really happy place for Bitcoin Cash, um, just because like it, it's it's a relatively impoverished area, right? So, in in the grand scheme of the United States, Detroit uh, uh, is I think number two, or maybe even number one has the highest poverty rate uh, in a major city. It's the only major city to ever declare bankruptcy. And there's a really large population of people here that are dominant, which means like they don't even have a cap, like right? Um, so um, there's a really big opportunity here for cash um, because this because the issues here is that um, the city likes the city to go run. Unfortunately, um, um, things happen here where you know really what we're doing is we're punishing poor people for being poor. Uh, so you know every block there's a check casher, and you need to get. You know, you need to get paid for work that you did the last month. Yeah, so so basically with the problems in uh, Detroit, so you're saying there's issues with the check cashing, right? That certain people are yeah. too poor and they're already get, having to pay huge fees for their money, right? Yeah, so the check cashing service basically works like, you know, people get paid, right? You, you work, you do work, you go to work, you... you Put in your hours, and then normally what happens is, um, you know, you get paid for that work one to two weeks after you do that work. Most people get paid like bi-weekly, right? So um, they get paid for work they did like two weeks ago. Uh, and some people, you know, what they they they're they're in poverty, they're living, you know, paycheck to paycheck, and sometimes midway through that pay period, they're running out of money, right? So they need to get as soon as they get paid, they need to get their check cash like immediately. Uh, because they don't have time to wait to go to the bank and have the three-day processing fee go through, uh, you know, which takes some time. Uh, so, but 
what uh, check cashers do, and they're like literally everywhere in Detroit and everywhere in like uh, the metro Detroit areas. Basically, they charge you a fee, and you uh, it basically allows you to get your money quicker. Um, but that you know that's something that Bitcoin Cash can really help with because you know, it's an instantaneous transaction with very low fees. So imagine getting like imagine clocking in eight hours a day, and by the end of the day, the money that you worked that day is already in your bank account. You know, um, instead of getting having to wait, you know, doing week work and then waiting two weeks to get paid, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of these, like I said, a lot of people get living paycheck to paycheck, and they, you know, if their car breaks down on the second week of it before their pay period, you know, they're they're kind of they're kind of screwed. So, um, and then they end up having then they get behind, and like this just creates a vicious cycle of them staying behind, right? Yeah. Um, and basically, the problem is, is that you have to pay. Poor people have to pay more. Like it, it's just ridiculous how if you're if you're if you're poor, right? You end up spending more money. Like it, it costs more to be poor than it does to be rich. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's um, that's the story of the world, right? It, it costs it costs to be poor exactly. Yeah. So. It's it's a huge problem here in Detroit, and you know there's there's all there's many many more things problems here that um, can hopefully be helped solve be solved by Bitcoin Cash. You know, not only that, just like a lot of predatory lending practices. You know, people um, needing to get loans and they don't have a bank won't qualify them for a loan because they don't have good enough income or whatever, and they have to go to a private lender and end up like taking out, you know crazy amounts of credit card debt and crazy amounts of credit card loans and paying like 14, 15, 16, you know, up to 30% on some of these loans, which is just like abysmal. Uh, so it's really, it's, it's really, really something that is holding a lot of poor people back, especially in the city of Detroit. And um, I was also talking about home ownership. So it's basically impossible to, uh, if you're, if, even if you're not like, even if you're middle class, it's almost impossible to own a house uh, here in the city of Detroit, just because um, banks won't lend won't lend on any houses here. Um, they basically see it as too big of a risk uh, because you know Detroit is not a favorable market. It's not a great place for you know most people. Most banks don't think it's a great place for you to live. They don't think it's a place where you know they're gonna. There was a lot of foreclosures here in uh, 2008 when the financial crisis happened. So. You know, really scared a lot of banks away from doing a lot of uh, mortgages and lending, uh, which basically means if you want to buy a house here, you have to pay cash. Um, you have to have the cash in hand, um, and you can't. You can't like as a person if you're making even fifty thousand dollars, which isn't even considered the poverty right here. Um, you know, making fifty thousand dollars a year, there's no chance you're going to pull out fifty grand in cash yeah. to buy a house. Mm. Uh, so. That, that's a huge problem as well because uh, you know a lot of people are stuck renting with like really crappy landlords. You know, people that have all the money are just buying up these houses for cash and renting them to people, and you know, really not taking care of their care care of these properties and just letting them like go into despair. And people are living in like really crappy, crappy housing uh, that's not well taken care of. And even people, even like even to the point where um, there are. Uh, there are foreclosure auctions here, so uh, when your house goes into foreclosure and you stop making your payments, um, the the bank puts your house up for auction. And these people will, uh, these people with cash, will basically buy your house out from under you while you're living in it, 
and then they'll say, hey, you can stay, but you got to pay me X amount of dollars in rent. And, you know, either these people become homeless or uh, they, you know, they, pay, they end up being forced to pay rent, which is more expensive than even their mortgage was in the first place. Uh, so it's, uh, it's kind of like a lose-lose situation. Um, where like yeah, a lot of just in general, like a lot of poor people getting screwed over here. Damn. Yeah. I mean, I I've never been to uh, Detroit. I just know it is being uh, famous by Eminem. <laughs> Has uh, <laughs> you know he's he's definitely on the scene there, or he uh, talks about it uh, quite a lot, right? Uh, is he from Is he from Detroit? Is that uh, or is yeah. he just spent? Yeah. yeah. No, he, he's from Detroit. He's from like the Eight Mile area, That's which right, is like yeah. uh, the most northern uh, part of Detroit. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, obviously, you're in the struggle uh, for a lot of people, a lot of people in Detroit. So that that you're right. I think that that could be a, a great opportunity for Bitcoin Cash. I mean, I sort of see it as it it is a bit of a double-edged sword, often in, in these scenarios because. Uh, people who are in extreme uh, financial hardship and, and anybody who's no, been in this situation knows is that on one hand you're maybe more willing to take risks or you're sort of clutching at straws so you're going to be more open-minded to a different way of doing things or uh, swapping it up or, or whatever but at the same time as that you're also riding pretty close to the lightning on the, in those scenarios and you're not necessarily uh, willing to be taking chances uh, in some aspects because you're like, look, well, I, I can't like, well, I can't afford to, literally and figuratively. Yeah. You know, you probably you don't already don't have a safety net, and things are already falling apart. And you're already trying to put out one fire after another, just in quick succession. So, getting the getting around to, oh, let me just look at this experimental technology or anything like that is not necessarily <laughs> yeah. going to be top of top of your mind to to sit and have a yeah. look at yeah yeah i i completely agree I, it's it's definitely going to be really hard uh but um it's you know it's definitely an opportunity to create you know more economic equality here and more hopefully um more just like financial literacy um as far as just like knowing you know <laughs> what, what to do uh with your money uh so but yeah, it's definitely a challenge. And the first step to tackling that challenge is just um, just education, first of all, and just awareness. So you know, before I you know before I go and try and get a bunch of stores and merchants to try and you know accept Bitcoin Cash, that kind of stuff. You know, there just needs to be a general education around here about what that is, uh, and like you know, we need to start doing meetups and getting uh the community more involved with that because it's kind of a useless thing to do to onboard you know get like 20 people in like restaurants and grocery stores and stuff to accept bitcoin cash if no one no one actually uses it here or even has it uh so uh you know they're just gonna you know they'll be like oh cool yeah i'll accept that you know if i convince them to do that they'll be excited about it and they'll say they'll accept it and like they're gonna forget about it because no one's, no one's gonna come up to them and be like, "Yeah, can I pay with Bitcoin Cash?" Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's and I mean, uh, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. That's one of the classic uh, problems, I suppose, of even with uh, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin Cash is, 
insane growth worldwide it it has historically always struggled uh, and maybe there will be a tipping point at which point it will just take over completely but uh, historically the growth has suffered from it being a two-sided market right there's there's less incentive for somebody to get some if there's nowhere they can spend it and there's less incentive for some uh, merchant to accept it if there's nobody to spend and so it's sort of slowly slowly just building up this uh, population yeah. and and some online stores have maybe been able to get to that uh, breaking point faster. But in any local geographic area, especially somewhere like Detroit, where there's already a lot of uh, issues and things on people's minds, it's it's definitely you know a challenge you set yourself. I think. Yeah, it, it definitely will be. Um, you know, I think it's an it's definitely an exponential thing. So. Yeah, there's places, you know, once you see these examples of places, and I, I you sent me um, those videos about that, um, I forgot who it was. Hayden, anyway, in uh, North Queensland. Hayden, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he's done a great job over there, and really, I think, yeah, I think it's just an exponential thing. Like, once you get it, once you get the ball rolling, it really starts to go, um, and you start to, like, see, like, more mass adoption, uh, but it's really getting those first couple footsteps, and that's going to be um, really difficult here. Yeah. So, so what's your initial game plan? I saw you've done a, uh, like a, you did a one point five uh, video. I don't know if you've done number two yeah. yet, but uh, you just number two will be coming out uh, this weekend. Okay. So, all right. All right. I'm, yeah. I'm looking. I'm looking forward so, to that. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah. So the initial game plan is just um, I'm going to be you know trying to create content around Bitcoin Cash this summer, and you know just get the worry out about it, and also try and um, you know, just just drive overall like knowledge of it. So um, the first thing I really want to do is just start doing meetups um, and just get the ball rolling and try and try and get a feel for what the community is here because there 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 really isn't. I am I have no knowledge of anyone else in the city that like knows too much about Bitcoin Cash. Like through my university, I haven't really met anyone who's like been passionate about Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash. I mean, I've met people that like talked about Bitcoin stuff like that but like no one who's like actively invested in it or anything like that um so i think it's definitely the first step towards this is just getting a feel for what the community is and like you know if i can organize a couple of people who are passionate about it here um you know and just start like doing some weekly meetups and getting a game plan going to you know hopefully get a couple merchants to accept it you know then we can use those merchants as like destinations for those meetups and then you know, kind of create a master plan of how we can get, you know, all these people um, who are, you know, in, in a not-so-good financial situation to be able to boost their financial situation to, by, you know, lowering their fees, like basically making sure that they don't have to pay, you know, check cashing fees or, like, stupid stuff like that they shouldn't have to pay just because they're poor and uh, try and get Bitcoin cash and education for that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a it's a good plan, right? And I think it's going to, uh, like you say, the hardest yards are, are those initial ones to to build some momentum. And in any area, it's quite important to find sort of allies is the word I'm going to use. But it might be, and it's different for every area, right? So I, I I'm for sure not the expert on this, right? But in a community, 
it might be different from place to place, right? But there might be like a community center, for instance, or a local business person who already likes Bitcoin or something, but you just don't know or you haven't yeah. found onto them or, or something. So hope, hopefully in time, as you start to sort of advertise or, or get the word out there, you'll stumble across that sort of seed of the, of the community that you can then uh, start building around because definitely uh, there's no need to reinvent the wheel in terms of people's uh, ability to connect and meet each other and stuff like that. I mean, and now with the pandemic, it's a bit messed up, but even uh, that aside, there are already existing networks for things and it's about, yeah, you could grow a, a second network off that first one, but that needs to have a very strong uh, attachment point to uh, you know something that resonates with that community or somebody who's already well respected there who can lend some weight to it or see the potential or or that kind of thing so it'll be very interesting to follow you, follow your progress in in that regard yeah exactly yeah all right well i, I don't know uh how, how much more time you you've got like i i've got a bunch more questions about uh detroit if you want to uh, i'm ready to answer that all right. I'm ready okay. All right. So, <laughs> so let's say, um, let's say in this uh, scenario where you've identified this this kind of need, and then you went to uh, Flipstarter. So on my previous um, show, I've had uh, Jonas, who he did a Flipstarter to uh, fund making a payment uh, processor, and then you've sort of done the same thing. So tell us a bit about about your campaign, how you found that, like, I think it's quite hard to use. Personally, I actually haven't used uh, Flipstarter. You know, what, what was that process like? <laughs> well, um, I, I by no means, I'm by no means the most uh, technologically affluent person, um, you know, when it comes to technical stuff and Bitcoin Cash and, like, Bitcoin in general, I'm, I'm pretty clueless um, about, like, the development side and how, how developers do anything. <laughs> Um, so I'm not too technologically advanced whatsoever, um, but you know uh, I do I do know a couple of things, uh, and I, I I there were definitely some challenges and and problems um, when creating a flip starter, um, but I think it's somewhat it's somewhat straightforward. Um, yeah, there are definitely there are definitely a couple of frustrating bits that um, just like just like little things that kind of annoy you, but. Um, overall, didn't it didn't really take me too long to do it. I, I mean, I do have experience on building websites and stuff like that, but it, it's not really the same. Um, the the main challenge of it is figuring out um, how to use um, like the 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 flip sort of thing when you go to set it up is pretty intuitive, and they like you know they have all the dialog boxes where you're supposed to plug your stuff in, um, but there's a they basically make you use this thing called DigitalOcean, uh, which is basically your hosting for it, like it's your server hosting. And figuring that out can be a little bit um, difficult if you're not technologically advanced. And I know if you do want to start a flip starter and you like have no, no, and you don't even want to deal with it, you're just like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what he's talking about, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and like, what's an IP address kind of stuff? Um, there, are, you know, there, there are people out in the community that will set you up one. Uh, it doesn't cost that much if you like pay them like a couple hundred bucks. Um, they'll they'll set one up for you. Um, I know. Uh, I think that's how Mark Falzone did his. Um, he just paid someone 
I think they charge like 100, 150 bucks to set him up and one up. Um, so even if even if that looks a little daunting to you, uh, it's still 100 percent doable. Yeah. Cool. Cool. That's great. So did you and your flip star? Has it been funded now? Or are you you locked in? Or? Um, we are. We have like 10 days left, I believe. We, I've not been completely funded yet. I know that. Um, we're about 40% of the way there right now. All right. Well, hopefully uh, the word can get out there a bit uh, to my small little audience with the, this uh, this episode. And uh, I'll, I'll make sure we put a link in the description and stuff uh, so people can Great. can uh, chip into that uh, as well. And so then, okay, well, maybe, maybe to wrap up then, let's just... Uh, Talk about something a little bit of a different topic, which is this on this podcast. I really uh, I'm trying to get a good spread of people from the community and, and everything, like I mentioned before. And I put quite a lot of weight personally on um, not so much the stats, even though that's what we look at at the start of each uh, show, because that's very objective and it's easy to follow uh, week to week. But Personally, I put quite a lot of weight on when I hear people around me talking about uh, Bitcoin Cash or I see the community comes up with a really cool new ad or a new initiative or, you know, like these kind of projects uh, that you're doing. To me, that that's sort of that's that's real, you know, those kind of real things which are not necessarily what you might uh, encounter if you just if you just come onto a, a, a forum and you just start bashing away and it's all arguing about you know, stuff that's uh, all in the clouds, right? Uh, it's not, it's quite removed yeah. from the actual day-to-day of if you're involved in, in Bitcoin Cash, you know, and you have a friend and you trade with them for, you know, a beer or, or like a bus ticket or, or, or whatever, you know, that that kind of uh, interaction. So, yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on how how you think the, the community is at at the moment are you optimistic? I mean, well, obviously you, you like Bitcoin Cash, but is it at a is it at a is it is it trending up, or do you think there's one particular area, let's say outside uh, local adoption in Detroit? You you've got that on lock, but in the community generally, uh, if you were going to give some feedback to to the community, is there is there some area that you think we need to focus more on or less on or uh, anything that's lacking or anything that you like and think should be encouraged, like just, sure. yeah, speak to the community a bit. Yeah. Um, I'm really, I'm really enjoying the community right now. Um, especially on Reddit. I know there's a, there's a lot, there's a great amount of positivity going on there. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited for, uh, the future of Bitcoin Cash and what's going on. And I know there's a lot of other people running some really great flip starters and like other really great projects going on, which is like really exciting. Uh, something that you don't really see on any other platform besides Bitcoin Cash is the community involvement is just is just astonishing here, uh, which is something that I, I enjoy a lot. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 genuinely really optimistic uh, about the future of Bitcoin Cash. Um, you know, there definitely will be some hurdles and stuff that we have to go over um, to to get to hopefully what is mass adoption. Um, but yeah, at the community at its moment, uh, at the moment, uh, there's just a lot of positivity going on, um, and you know, and there's a lot of great um, like it, it's very um, everyone's very reachable, you know, um, 
you know, you, you, if you want, let's say you want to talk to like a CEO of a company, right? If you're like, oh, I want, like here in Detroit, you know, we got General Motors and Ford. You know, there's no, you're not going to, who even knows how to, how to talk to the CEO or the COO or anyone at Ford or General Motors to voice your opinion on how the company's going, right? Uh, if, as an employee, but, you know, as an investor, as, but, you know, this is an analogy, you can say, like, I'm technically an employee for Bitcoin Cash as a, as a user of it, yeah. right? So, and I think it's really cool how reachable some of these people are, you know, like Roger Ver being so active in the community and just talking to, like, you know, everyday people like me on Reddit and just, <laughs> and, uh, you know, make, making it seem like you're, like, you know, you're down to, like, discuss anything and, like, no one's, no one's above you and no one's beneath you, right? That kind of mindset. And just like, you know, I've had it like with this Flipstarter in general, you know, I've DM'd on Twitter and talked to a couple of people who have either successfully done a Flipstarter or, or just like larger influencers like George Donnelly that are in the Bitcoin cash space that are like pushing for adoption. Uh, and they've just like, you know, given me like really great, just genuine feedback, which is like something that's just super cool, I think, uh, that those people are even like reachable. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point, and I think it does sort of come to that uh, philosophy of of Bitcoin Cash, which I hope the listeners can uh, agree or, or appreciate or, or be a part of, which is that it is effectively uh, quite a flat structure. Where the that's why we were talking about with the forks, you know, when they happen, it is quite uh, chaotic because that nobody's in charge and nobody's the one who can say yes or no right the miners obviously they have a bit of an influence and among them there's sort of some who are more influential in the mining pools and who isn't and uh then but then the in the businesses there's certain businesses that might have strong opinions and then there's people who are you know well known for one reason or another or people who are big investors or people who are the developers and they have certain uh, angles on things that they think need change or or working out or whatever and uh, the, it all sort of comes together as a as a voluntary uh, project but it only it only works as well as everybody is, is collectively willing to put into it really and so that's uh, hopefully something that uh, we can we can inspire and uh, you know I think it is also good yeah that people support uh, members of the community such as yourself who are who are proactive like that you know we should all try and be uh, in that same uh, vein and, and find a, a little niche that we can carve out in the in the world with uh, bitcoin cash because that ultimately uh, benefits everyone right and that that is another really great thing about it i think which is that you can work on it in uh, detroit and somebody else can work on it somewhere else you know like hayden in north queensland and all those things they all play into each other because there's always the the chance that somebody goes from one to another and then that's just the community operating into itself and especially with the internet you know stores can obviously sell online to the world once they're at a certain point or or you know just the general awareness and uh and branding spreads around as a result of everyone's efforts so it's it's a pretty cool uh, phenomenon to be a part of i think i completely agree all right, cool. Well, I think uh, we might uh, wrap it up there then. Um, that's a good message to the community, you know. <laughs> stay, uh, stay decentralized. You know, stay, stay, stay a non-hierarchical, right? With uh, 
everybody being reachable. So, uh, as always, just uh, you know, thank you very much to the donators uh, to the show. We've had quite a few recently, actually. So it's been uh, been been really great. I appreciate the support of everybody. Just uh, the same as you, you know, they, these donations just come in pseudonymously. You don't know who it is or or anything like that. But it, it is uh, it is really appreciated, um, and it just makes me you know feel confirmed that I'm that I'm doing work that uh, people people value or content that they they find useful. The slides and resources are at www.bitcoincashpodcast.com. So for all the links and everything. Um, in the show or if people who are listening to the audio if they want to check out the slides or the videos that are all up there as well too um and that's that's uh really it for me i have one final shout out which is to my mum, who i think this week she subscribed on apple podcast she she told me that she had listened to a, a little bits of it uh but then said because uh, it wasn't on Apple Podcasts initially, you know, she couldn't subscribe, but now she's subscribed, and if she made it all the way through to the end of the episode, uh, well done, Mum. Uh, I know it was, uh, I know it was a long one, but hopefully you made it through. Is there anything you want to uh, shout out? Where can people get in contact with you? And uh, yeah, we'll put the flip starter in the in the description. Yeah, yeah. So my flip starter will be in the description. Um, there's contact info on my flip starter site and links to my Twitter account my website as well um you can follow me on twitter at connor woodward if you want to reach out to me that's probably the easiest way dm me if you want um but yeah all right nice and so anybody who is in the detroit area or who knows maybe uh in the community at large maybe somebody's not in detroit but they know they know it they know they know someone who knows someone who's in uh detroit and you can get a bit of uh <laughs> link up there you know that's a huge amount of uh, value that people can provide to each other is is making those uh connections because that that's that's how business operates right that's uh that's how you get things done it's not what you know it's who you know so yeah, yeah. maybe we can get a little bit of that uh vibe going so yeah thanks uh, to everyone for listening and uh until next time he pulled out his laptop and bring up the site looked at me and said this will change your whole life and he started explaining the basics to me the miners make money by taking the fee every time a transaction is made incomplete and they work every minute and day of the week a guy named satoshi created this all he's the mastermind of it the brain in the ball there's a lot more to say but before i begin just tell me right now if you're out or you're in